0: This is a fourth hand production.
1: Story in the news
0: today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental uh, planes that they're built?
2: Police in Espanola are catching more than just
0: criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts.
3: This was this weird animal like creature that was shot, wolf like creature that just stood out in some odd ways.
2: Welcome to Strange Uncles, season five finale. I am Shane. I am John always oh, so creepy you just make like, the hairs stand the back of my head
0: you never know what you're gonna get no you yeah. never do no, i for never sure. know what you're gonna get <laughs> <laughs>
2: definitely um anyway well hey so listeners um this is actually man i think we we are done with season five we made it i think right
1: we did it yay everybody gets a we sticker
2: Yeah, (laughs) so looking good. Um, We first off want to apologize real quick. We did actually just because of life in general. uh, We did throw on social media, kind of explain it for those of you who don't follow social media, which, you know, we kind of have to, but we try not to. Um, We did miss last week. Apologize. We just had uh, life things. Man, it just got busy. Um, Josh, your job is absolutely insane during this time of year. Uh, Same thing with John. It's just been crazy. So apologize, listeners, but, you know, it is what it is. So.
0: Yep. Yeah. Sorry about that. But you know. Yeah.
2: Life happens. It but, happens. Yep. Nah, yeah. Obviously. So but uh but like we said in the very beginning, this is actually uh episode twenty six. This is the season five finale. After this one, we are going to take a much deserved break, uh, for not quite a month. It's gonna be about a two and a half, three week time frame. And then of course we've got guests lined up for season six. I can't believe we're actually, you know, in that time frame. Um looking good for the most part. I do want to say I had a highlight today. I want to share on the podcast, and I think I mentioned to you guys earlier before we had our guest on. But uh, I managed to wrangle uh, Iron Maiden tickets for my little town of Spokane, Washington. They nice. are coming. Yeah. Oh,
1: how Sweet. the mighty have fallen! If they're going to fucking Spokane, <laughs> playing some right. some B markets
0: there, Iron Maiden.
2: Yeah, I think they're trying to do whatever they can before they retire. Because it, you know, Bruce, do you need some oof. help
1: financially? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, too, because it's like literally I remember, God, I want to say like 12, 14 years ago, maybe longer than that. There was a documentary called Flight 666. I was
1: just going to ask if you had seen that.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, did. It's amazing. It was cool. So those of you who don't know, um, Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer, is a, uh, a pilot. He got his license, and they are the first band actually rent a basically buy a 747, put their logo on the side of it. And that's yeah. how they got from like uh, tour to tour, you know, around the world. It was crazy. So
1: yeah, they're like, "Fuck your converted school bus."
2: Yeah, you've
1: got a seven forty seven. You hike
2: across the country with a van and fucking yeah, exactly. So kind of cool, you know. They've been around for a long time, but it'll be fun. It'll be cool. Uh, yeah. Granted, it's not till I think I want to say September twenty twenty two. So they're, oh, they're really? thinking ahead. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, well, yeah. Cool. I guess it's it's a little dangerous to
1: to be old. But- <laughs> uh, to be
0: no. old and to book tours, you know, I feel like any moment, everything's just going to go to shit again.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, I know. And that's why I'm like with bated breath. I made sure to put insurance on them just yeah. in case, because God knows, you know, we thought we'd be done with the pandemic by now. But nah, you yeah, know, here we are. So
0: and I mean, they're getting up there. They may be done with life by September. Oh, John,
2: man. damn it. You broke my heart, <laughs> sir. Don't say I'm things so out
1: loud. loud. I don't wish that upon anybody in Iron Maiden. I, <laughs> I hope know. One it. of my favorite things about flight 666, which came out a fucking feels like a decade ago. I don't know if it was that long. Ago. I think was,
2: longer. God, they were
1: yeah. already pretty fucking old and like had stopped partying for the most part for a long time. Like that's how Bruce Dickinson got his pilot's license. He was like, well, I quit partying and I had all this time.
2: <laughs> he quit so. doing lines of cokes So we got a pilot's <laughs> license. <laughs>
1: So,
0: well, he can't be outlived by Mick Jagger and uh, the other guy.
1: No, oh, I mean, boy. if that's the case, then I will no longer hail Satan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe, Do- maybe that is the Dark Lord's doing. Maybe it is. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it could be. I,
0: I just saw recently some live footage for some reason or another. I don't even know why, but is of the Rolling Stones playing a show, and like those dudes are got to be in their 80s, right? I think yeah, so. They're they're, like, like, are. they're, yeah. they're dancing yeah. around on set like I'm like, and
2: fucking breaking. Kudos
0: to you. They you have definitely sold your souls. to the Dark Lord. Yeah,
1: or just you know, massive amounts of uh, the geriatric spice melange.
2: Well, I, I think Keith Richards at this point. Yeah, I mean, didn't <laughs> Keith Richards die like ten years ago? He just doesn't know it yet. Like nobody's told him, so he's still around. I mean, I think that's what's going well, on. Well,
1: that's one of my many fun theories is that we all died in, like, 2012. The world ended because when has anything good happened since then? <laughs>
2: True. That was the last good movie, too. We're
1: just <laughs> in uh, purgatory at this point. Just you know?
2: limbo. Limboing along. Well, shit, even Alice Cooper. God, he's, what, 73 now, and he's still rocking it. So, you know, yeah. good on him. Good on him. But anyway, I forgot i share that little. That was my uh, Christmas present to myself this year, even though it's not till next year. But nice. we'll see. Merry Christmas next year. Yeah, exactly. But uh, interesting to say. Um, I will be seeing you guys actually next week. So, again, listeners, we this is a final episode, but we will have uh, at least one thing bonus episode for Patreon. So if you're a Patreon member, um, you'll still have some things kind of coming to you through that December time frame. And then we are going to be back uh, lock, sock and barrel, I want to say, uh, second week, early second week of January. And um, we've already got some guests lined up, some surprises in store. You know, We'll see if they come to fruition. But uh, looking yeah, forward I'm- to it.
1: I'm extremely horny for at least one of them.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping, man. I've been working hard on it. When he reached back, I was like, oh, my God, this was a joke when I tweeted you, but now you answered back. So now you're (laughs) stuck. So (laughs)
1: anyway, don't want to don't want to jinx it or uh, spoil it, but I'm excited.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Be cool. Um, I don't have much past that. Uh, Do you guys got any updates, anything on your side before we roll into our interview, which actually was pretty phenomenal?
0: Um no, not off the top of my head. Nothing that's uh the only thing I have is a buzzkill, so we'll just pass it. Okay.
2: Fair enough, sir. Appreciate that.
0: It's just our you know, the classic strange uncles, existential doom and gloom and
2: yeah, well,
0: all well, the fun stuff. Let's save
1: that to the end of the interview. <laughs> yeah, shall we? <laughs> and then I want to talk about it.
0: Why ruin such a good time? <laughs> right, exactly.
2: Well, cool. So, yeah, well, let's go ahead and roll into it. Um, and I got to say, so I didn't look it up during the interview, but uh, I did order his book, uh, one of his first ones, actually. It's called A Litter Course in Dreams. We're about to have Robert Bosnack on. And, uh, and just uh, the guy was absolutely amazing. Um, everything from dreams uh, to uh, things he's embodied, to uh, getting into alchemy. I, I mean, I mean, the list goes on. It. It. I think we only touched the tip of the iceberg with this guy. Um, would love to have him on again because it was just fantastic. He's been spending forty plus years on uh, just doing this kind of research, and uh, and just fascinating. Fasci. His viewpoints, what he's come up with, his methodology on things. Uh, I don't know. I, I was very taken aback with the whole thing. I don't know about you guys.
1: Yeah, it was not what I thought it was going to be.
2: No, no, not at all. So it's nice to have little little surprise for sure. You know when we have guests like that. But um, but anyway, we're gonna roll into him and again. Uh, this is little everything from dreams to alchemy to uh, you know he's got books out there and everything else. And I can't wait to actually get my hand on on the one that mainly he's talking about. A lot of medieval history things like that that actually occurred. Um, just really cool. So we're gonna roll in an interview and then afterwards we'll talk about it and we'll kind of wrap up the season and go from there. Um, everybody stand by for the interview with Mr. Robert Bosnack. Open the gates. Robert Bosnack grew up in Holland, trained in Switzerland, and since 1972 has been a trained Jungian analyst. Uh, He has developed a method called Embodied Imagination which involves work with dreams and waking memories and is practiced individually and in groups in psychotherapy, medicine, theater, art, and creative research. It has been used as a rehearsal technique at the Royal Shakespeare Company in England, applied in medical research on psychotherapy in Japan, China, and a variety of locations in the Western world. Robert is also the co-founder of the International Society for Embodied Imagination, the National Nightmare Hotline, and the past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and was visiting professor of clinical psychology at the Kyoto University in Japan. He is now based in Santa Barbara, California, where he is the executive director of the Santa Barbara Healing Sanctuaries with a private practice in Los Angeles. As impressive as all that sounds on its own, um there's more to it. So he has also studied the art of alchemy for over forty years, and along with his nonfiction books written about his study and research regarding dreams, he's also authored the fiction books called The Red Sulfur Saga. The Greatest Mystery in Alchemy. Last but not least, anyone who is interested in further info should check out uh, www.jungplatform.com, that's J-U-N-G, platform.com, which has become a worldwide respected educational institute on Jungian psychology and other psychological perspectives. They have produced several hundred classes and courses, and have had participants from over 60 countries. Robert has a very impressive body of work, and we are ecstatic to have him on the show. So Robert Bosnak, welcome to Strange Uncles.
3: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: Yeah, and, you know, again, we tr- try to condense everything that, that your research, everything you've done, and, and I think with a lot of our guests, is just some background knowledge. You know, how, you know, and we can start there. You know, how did you get into your line of work and what you're doing now? Like, what was that, uh, what was that catalyst for you?
3: Um, I got sick. Um, what happened was that um, I did uh, a training in law. In law and criminology. And I finished my training and I got really, really sick, ended up in the hospital for about 11 months and the, and the symptoms didn't go away. So um, I decided to go to Switzerland to the CG Jung Institute because Jung was one of the greatest um, psychiatrists of all time. And there was an Institute of his and people who had trained with him. So I went to, to Zurich in 1971 and started my training there and was in analysis. And then I found that during my psychoanalysis, uh, my symptoms went away. And um, what hadn't happened for 11 months in the hospital happened in my analysis. So I became very interested in the relationship between dreaming, which was a major part of my analysis, between dreaming and the body. So over the years, I helped create a system called embodied imagination, the way that imagination influences the body. And that's where it all began for me.
2: Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. Um, How well now we fast forward how many years into the future, you know, now um, and you've gathered you've built all this stuff. When did this come to fruition as far as everything that you're involved in currently?
3: Um, It came in uh, uh, over time. I mean, I've been in the field now for 50 years. And um, so, um, and I worked with between 40 and 50,000 dreams. And so you begin to get a sense of what's going on and how incredibly powerful that material is and how there is this world that I call the involuntary imagination, something we don't have any control over. It's in It happens to us in dreams, and so I I studied what is going on in dreams, and what is going on in dreams actually is that you find yourself somewhere, and you are convinced that you're awake, and everything around you is real, and everything around you is embodied. That's how I came to the word embodied imagination, because the imagination is fully embodied. If you walk down the street, you can see the car, you can hear the noise. If you touch something, you can feel that it's hard. It's all happening in dreams, and so... I was interested in the imagination, the involuntary imagination that is fully embodied, and going in that direction, I developed more and more things and i'm I'm interested in how it works anywhere interesting in how it works in research in physics. I'm interested in how it works in health I'm interested in how it works in imagination uh, in in creative imagination in film in theater and Uh, Novels, and I'm a fiction writer, so I love anything that imagination is involved in.
2: Hmm. Do you ever find different, how do I want to say it, people that are in different forms of art, whether they are an actor, theater, or maybe they're in a certain line of work, that what you find your research to back that up, that it affects them differently, or maybe they're able to tap on that in a different way depending on what their background is?
3: Um, Well, some people have more access to dreaming than others. Um, It has to do with memory, right? Um, If you have very good short-term memory, then you will remember dreams better than if you don't have very good short-term memory. Um, Some people are more interested in it and some people are less interested in it. Um, For instance, um, this movie um, that just came out with... um, Cumberbatch that was made by Jane Campion that's probably going to win several Oscars um, was very much Made with dreams in mind. Jane Campion went to uh, a union therapist to work with her dreams. Cumberbatch did. And so um, you can see that if people are interested in dreams, it begins to influence their art a lot. And Jane Campion was influenced by, by dreams. And um, when I was working in the Shakespeare company, it influenced the way that they created the performances. And um, when I was working with a microbiologist, it changed the way that he looked through the mind. Microscope. So if a person is interested, I, I'm not saying that you have to work with dreams, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested, then it's a very valuable way to enter into the deep imagination.
0: Yeah, I've always. Uh... <laughs> Today, preparing for this interview, I was like trying to. Rem- I can never remember my dreams. I wake yeah, up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wake up every morning, and I'm just like, "Oh man, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> I've got to remember that, you know. I got to tell somebody." And then I swear, ten minutes later, you know, it's completely it's out of favor. my mind. So I was two trying-
3: minutes later, yeah, two <laughs> yeah. minutes. Later. Oh yeah, oh, just man. like
0: as soon as I wake up, what what mm-hmm. what is that all about? Why why can't I remember my dreams? And why are my dreams constantly horrible?
2: <laughs> well, that's a lot of questions, <laughs> uh,
3: let's, uh Let's do that in, in order. So um, why don't you remember your dreams? Um, uh, the answer is I have no idea. I mean, I have yeah. now worked for 50 years with dreams. I understand them less than I did 50 years ago. Hmm. And anybody who tells you that they understand dreams and know what dreams are all about is just in, in somewhere in a strange kind of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what dreams are about. We know a little bit now on how the brain is functioning while we're dreaming. We know a little bit about those things. But from a perspective of experience, we only know that you experience them. And we know that as you wake from dreaming, you go through amnesia. And so oh, um, so it it, uh, it you dream in a particular state and from moving from the dream state to the waking state, you move through amnesia. And so um, if you have a very good short term memory, then you can pull through that amnesia and you can still catch it. And that happens, especially um, if you uh, work with dreams of like 15, 16 year olds. They are endless because they remember everything. And um, so... Then there are certain things that are not very good for dream memory, and um, uh, especially um, uh, alcohol and cannabis are not very good for dream memory. Um, and uh, But we don't really know why it is that certain people remember dreams and other people don't. I think it has something to do with the ability of short-term memory to pull to the other side of the amnesia.
0: Yeah.
3: And then you said about all the bad dreams. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, of course, again, in my first statement is always, I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. I have no idea why it is. And then I'm, I'll am i try and, and make something up according to my experience.
2: Thank you for that, by the uh, way. We're not trying to pretend uh, like you do know because that's oh, it. God, it's no. refreshing. No. It's no, no. refreshing.
3: No, no. It, and um I think that that is very important about dreams uh, because you, uh, many people use dreams to get power and to say, this is what it's about, and I'm telling you, and I'm giving you a diagnosis, and this is what it means, and that's all crap. Um, so uh, I, I think that... Um, uh, I, I So I don't know why it is, but you can do great work with bad dreams because mm. what happens is that... Um, From the way that I understand um, the psyche, um, that we have something that I call habitual consciousness, habits of consciousness, ways that we are in the world. Um, You see something, you have a habitual reaction to it um you think something you have a habitual thought about it um so that is i call that habitual consciousness uh, other people call it ego but i like the notion of habitual consciousness because it's more phenomenological mm. and so um your habitual consciousness by its nature does not want to change um because it's habit right you don't want to change your habits it's like habitual consciousness like you can comp- compare to an addiction um you it's much easier to get addicted than to go out of it so you are addicted to habitual consciousness and so it will defend itself against any new information that is coming in so bad dreams mm. frequently have a lot of new information that that um habitual consciousness is resisting so by working on um on dreams and, and i can explain to you how i work on dreams by working on a dream um, that is very frightening. Frequently, the most interesting information is found in the most frightening characters because that is where the new information comes in. That's where the alien comes in. And I don't know if you remember um, E.T., but the first moment that Elliot meets E.T., they're both terrified. The moment that something new happens, we're frightened. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why I think that bad dreams are very, very useful.
1: That At You moment, know, that's scared the crap out of me when I was a kid.
3: <laughs> um, yes. I would
1: yeah. really like to hear how you work on dreams. I, that sounds super interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. So I start out with, I have no idea what this means. That's where my, the beginning with every dream. And then the second thing that happens to me, I am scared shitless because I'm going to lose control. I know that I'm going to lose control when I enter into dreams because the dream world is not in our control. So after I get through that, and that hasn't changed, uh, 40,000 dreams later, that hasn't changed. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So um, after I'm through that, I help a person – to get into a hypnagogic state. Now the hypnagogic state is as you're falling asleep, you go through the hypnagogic state into sleep. It's the in-between. It is the state, for instance, that the hypnotist uses. I don't use it like the hypnotist, but it's the same state. Mm-hmm. So I help the person get into that. And the way that I that I help them get into that is by carefully remember what you remember. So for instance, I'm walking down a street and I see a dog. Um, I asked them, what is the street like? Is it daytime? Is it night? Um, how are you walking? Are you walking fast? Are you walking slow? How are you breathing? As you ask those very particular questions, by itself, people start sinking into the hypnagogic state and the environment of the dream comes around them. And what happens then is that you flash back into the dream. And we all know about flashbacks. Flashbacks uh, are known from uh, trauma studies that, for instance, a soldier who has been on a battlefield and comes home, she hears a loud noise and suddenly she's back on the battlefield. Mm. And um, that uh, that is a flashback that happens naturally, and we have developed ways to artificially move into flashback. So once you're flashed back into the dream, you can see the dream and that's the most interesting part not just from the perspective of the one who's telling the dream which is usually habitual consciousness but also from the perspective of the dog oh so you you can shift your perspective away and you do this the way any actor gets into character right that's why I worked so much with actors um because the way that an actor if if you have to play uh Romeo then you have to feel the presence of Romeo, you work through the text until the presence of Romeo is very strong to you so that you get taken over by Romeo and let Romeo say the lines, so you get into character. The same kind of technique we use for in Embodied Imagination, to get into for instance the dog and then you notice that the uh, that the experience of the dog is very different from the experience of hmm. the one who's walking in the street and then you have two completely different states of being two states of consciousness that are held in the body at the same time you can hold up to four or five different states of consciousness at the same time as you wor- work through dreams now as you do that your body gets in a state of enormous tension and then um, something happens that is called complexity theory, then all that complex tension begins to self-organize into something new. And that new thing is a new insight that is um, a new experience of the world. It is a new embodiment, and that can affect your body. It can affect your creativity and everything else.
2: And that's where we loop back to as far as health, dreams, getting connections with yourself more, you know, yes. that's, and, and, you know, most of us laymen, we, we don't pay attention to that. We don't pay attention to dreams. We don't pay attention to what happens. You know, a lot like John said, you know, yeah, I have, my aunt used to keep a, a tablet next to her bedstand, a little notepad. Mm-hmm. She would try to write them down because to her, it was very important to know what she was dreaming about, what she went through to try to put this yeah. two together, you, you know? Right. So. In, in
3: our culture, usually women are more interested in it than men.
2: Oh, interesting.
3: When uh, at the International Association for the Study of Dreams, there are more female members than male members. In the dream groups that I'm doing, and the people that I'm training, it's usually a majority of women.
2: That's, under, that's And you touched on this before. So I've got a quick small question in regards to, you know, you've been doing this for you know, 40-something odd years. You yourself, have your dreams, have you saw them change, adapt? You've gained more from them? Like what does that? What did that involvement look like? If there was anything there for you as a person that's really directly involved in this study and this research?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, the one big problem about if you ask a person about their lives, they cannot live an alternative life. So I don't know how my life would have been if I hadn't worked with dreams. Very true. Um, uh, The way that I that it affects me on a day-to-day basis is that I am very interested in the characters that I'm afraid of in dreams. So I get into those perspectives and I find that I am locked into a perspective that is not very helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I can move out of that perspective and, and just make a slight shift. And if you make a slight shift of perspective, the world changes, Mm-hmm. So you 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 can move and you become what has happened to me. And I think that what happens to many people who work with dreams, if you become more adaptive. And one of the most important things is adaptation. Um, that's why during the beginning of the COVID epidemic for 18 months, I did the Spooky Dreams Cafe, which you can still find at the Jung platform where people we were talking about their dreams during COVID, and people were saying that they could adapt more to the pandemic. They could adapt their lives more to the pandemic by working with dreams and hearing other people work with dreams. So I think that adaptation is really important, and I think that your understanding of the world becomes more subtle. And that brings us to alchemy because alchemy was very interested in subtlety. They call it subtle body. And the subtle body was different from what they called the gross body. Mm-hmm
2: actually so that was my next question it kind of read my mind a bit um you know back to when you were talking about you know something that's unfamiliar people you know our instant our automatic instinct is to be on guard of things we're not aware of I mean, we do that just as social creatures as just mankind we are just like that Absolutely. it's funny how it yeah. falls into the realm of dreams it, it follows suit to it almost like a natural instinct of sorts
3: well that that's um uh, that's what uh, Darwin tells us and I don't agree with everything that Darwin says but I'd certainly agree with the fact that we are in a constant state of adaptation and that the most important quality that we have is adaptation and the species that adapts best stays longest. So probably um, we will be outlived by the cockroaches. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Let's hope not, but I'm not going to knock on wood. That's about right. Most certainly. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Well, let's bridge that gap then, if you don't mind, Robert, talking about alchemy. Uh, and I guess that's the thing, you know, looking at your research, looking at what you're involved in, and now all of a sudden you have alchemy as part of that. Um, you want to kind of unfold that a little bit and and how you perceive yeah. that, how we can use that?
3: Yes. Um, so uh, for my uh – For my own story, um, alchemy came into my life when I started at the Jung Institute because um, C.G. Jung was uh, the person who was one of the first to see the relationship between alchemy and dreaming, that um, what the alchemists were talking about was very similar to what happened in people's dreams, which is not so strange because uh, the alchemists were, were dealing with Uh, Matter that at the time was completely unknown. And so um, uh, much of what they saw in matter as happening in matter was happening in their involuntary imagination in the same way that we have it in dreams. So um, if we see that uh, alchemy, there are um, salamanders and dogs and dragons and all these beings um, that run around in alchemy, those are beings that we are fascinated by because otherwise Marvel Comics wouldn't exist, and um, so we are fascinated by all these these creatures, and they come up very strongly in um, in alchemy. And what I find is um, that if you look at your life from the perspective of alchemy, so. Um, I'm now taking alchemy not as the precursor of chemistry, which of course it was, but I'm seeing it as a system of metaphors that happened when people did know very little about what what the physical world was actually made of and started to imagine what that world was made of when they were in close contact with it. And they imagined it very differently than we did, because the way that science and that um, my book, Red Sulfur, plays in the 17th century where this all happened. Um, science looks at, um, at material through the split between subject and object. That happened really in the 17th century, and we are still connecting the name of Descartes to it, Cartesianism, um, where there's a split between subject and object. That was not there in alchemy. Alchemy worked through Participation so the alchemist would participate in the material and according to alchemy the material is alive mm-hmm. metals are alive not in the sense of of uh, frankenstein if it's alive it's alive no the 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 notion that it is actually living. It's a living entity. So for, for alchemists, there was only biology. There's only life science. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were communicating with the metal, with the metals. And when they communicated with the metals, there were certain images that started to come up that were particularly strong. So if they would communicate with, with um, copper, then the images would be images of Venus because uh In alchemy, there is – do you mind if I just roam?
2: No, no, not not at at all. Go for it. Yeah, Yeah, this is fantastic.
3: Um, So uh, the way that the the alchemists saw the universe is uh, different from the way we see it. We see it now as something – that began in the Big Bang, Mm -hmm. and we don't know what the Big Bang is. And actually, if you look at physics, you can't even get back to the Big Bang because everything breaks down at uh, 10 to the minus 44 seconds, and you cannot ever get back to the Big Bang. So the Big Bang is imagination because we can never get back there because all the laws of science contradict at uh, 10 to the minus 44 Mm -hmm. seconds. But anyway, that's Mm. that's our image. That's our cosmology. Um, the cosmology of the alchemist was that there are three worlds. There is the world of physical matter, that is, in the world, the world in which our bodies live and die. Um, so it's the world of time, the temporal. Then there is the world of eternity. That's the world of the stars, and the stars were seen in, in two different ways. It's either were seen as bodies that didn't move, or seen as holes in the firmament from behind which there was a great light that shone through the holes in the firmament and the stars were actually holes in the firmament and the firmament is like uh, was seen as a big onyx stone through which that was shining or but anyway they didn't move and they didn't change they were eternal so there's a world of the temporal and the world of eternal then there's a world in between the world in between is the world of what they called the daimones, and one of the most important daimones that lived in the world in between, that were um, that were part of both worlds, both part of eternity and part of the temporal, those were the planetos, the wanderers. Mm. Uh, the word planetos is a wanderer. So they were wandering through the sky. And so they were seeing uh, seven planetos. The planetos was the, the sun. Because that was uh, the, we are living in a time now where the sun moves around the earth, where right. the earth is the center, right? right? And so this was before the Copernican revolution, right. And so um, the, the Sun would and, and all the planetos planted their seeds, their sperm in the earth. And the sperm of the planetos were the metals. So the metals were highly oh. concentrated cosmic forces. The sun would, uh, uh, would um, insert uh, gold. The moon would insert silver. Um, Venus would insert copper. Uh, Jupiter would insert tin. Uh, Mars would insert um, iron. Um, mercury inserted mercury. And Saturn inserted lead. And those were the planets that we knew of at the time. Hmm. and so um, as the alchemists were working they were working with the seeds of the planets and now i'm coming back to venus so when they would be working with copper all these images of venus would emerge because it was the seed of venus so of love of beauty and all that stuff and then the alchemical work begins with green and that is copper oxide that is when venus turns when when copper turns green right and that's where the work begins the work begins in green and then it goes through a series of colors um all the way to gold hmm.
2: i you know and, and <laughs> we did this research you know a lot of people that really don't understand alchemy i guess which i'm one of them i don't really you know i've studied it but i've always known it to be again very layman. <laughs> You know, you're, anything with alchemy is taking one metal, turn it into gold. I mean, that was the idea because gold was, of course, what everybody wanted. But with your definition, that just blew the whole game. Oh, it's much, on much, alchemy. much more than that. I mean, it's, it's just oh crazy. God, yes, it's absolutely. No, they
3: crazy. actually used gold to make the tincture, so mm-hmm. um, uh, they were not after. Um, Uh, what they called the vulgar gold. They were not interested in the vulgar gold. They were only interested in the vulgar gold to extract the sulfur, the red sulfur, from the vulgar gold, because in gold, sulfur was most um, digested and was of the highest perfection. So if you would, would take that out of gold and then would concentrate it, then that tincture could be used to make other metals into gold. Mm. So there were the, the 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 vulgar gold was just one of the things that they used to make what they call the philosophical gold. So uh, and the philosophical gold and the the tincture, the red sulphur, the philosopher's stone, the sorcerer's stone, all that is uh, is um, of the same name. Uh, the sorcerer's stone is not very often used but it was used in harry potter so that's why i mentioned <laughs> so everybody <it. laughs> knows that i think mickey mouse so used that too that. <laughs> but yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah very free um
2: uh, yeah well we're gonna take a quick break robert if you don't mind um and we're gonna come back and talk to you more about this because I, I know there's plenty to unfold. so if you want to bear with us just for for a few moments we will be right back um everybody stand by believe in ufos All right, everyone. And we were back with Robert Barsnack. Uh, we were talking, well, we we're talking about alchemy, and you were describing more to do with that and what that all entails. It just, it's absolutely fascinating, to be honest with you, because it, it really is a lot more layered than you would think Yeah, because I was
3: describing how um, it's much more than just making gold. Mm -hmm. Um, It was about many of the alchemists were physicians, like Paracelsus, um, and uh, they were physicians trying to develop medicine. And uh, so one of the things about the philosophical gold, about the tincture, is that it is medicine. And in in my novel series, that's very much what it's about because it's at a time of a great pandemic that is going on, and um, they're trying to develop the medicine for the pandemic. Sounds similar, doesn't it? <laughs> and um, so that was in 1666, and I can tell you more about that. But so what the, what the alchemists were interested in with the tincture is to create health. Uh, they, cre- they wanted to create the Fountain of Youth, They wanted to create um, eternal life, Um, and they were also interested in um, healing sick metals, and lead was seen as a sick metal, and Mm -hmm. healing the sick metal because everything's alive, healing the sick metal, it would turn into gold because it was healing of something that was sick. But the process was a process of healing. Interesting.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing.
3: When you, well, I get so my question with
2: your books. Um, obviously you know you've had research on dreams, a lot of nonfiction. You you know I've got one order. I can't really wait to get a hold of you know. And I've read you know books in general of like dream interpretations. This is beyond what you do. You actually take the dream itself and how mm-hmm. it applies to the person necessarily, not what a dream means. And that's what you mm-hmm. hear all the time, you know. And so it's neat yep. how you kind of turn it upside down. It. What gave you the idea to finally go, you know, after 40 years of, of, you know, alchemy learning, reading, researching, maybe applying it to your own, well, definitely applying it to your own, your own work, but what gave you the, the ambition to do the uh, red sulfur sagas? You know, where, where did that stem from?
3: Uh, heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, uh, it was, I, I, it was a period of loss Um Uh, My mother died and I was very close to my mother. She died at 97. So I I was very lucky, had her for a long time. Well, at 97, that was good. And she had a good life. And so, but I was very close to her and had a long time to be close with her and she died. And then... Uh, The woman that I was with left me for someone else. And um, so I was in a state of heartbreak. And the only thing I know what to do about heartbreak, the only people that take heartbreak seriously is Chinese medicine. There's actually acupuncture for heartbreak. So I did acupuncture for my heartbreak. And then after that, I was remembering that I had done research on... um, on a transmutation that was said to have happened in 1666. Now, 1666 is an interesting year because at the time it was called the year of the beast, right. because 1666 was supposed to be the year that the devil came to earth. And so, in my um, in my story, that actually happens, and later on in the story. But um, this story was verified. This transmutation was verified by people such as Spinoza, who was one of the greatest philosophers of the second millennium by the mint master of Holland. And um, it was done by and described by the physician of the Prince of Orange, who was the, the leader of the country. And he, um, uh, there was uh, Robert Boyle, who you may have heard of as the father of chemistry. The, the uh, Robert Boyle and Isaac Newton were the founders of the Royal Society. So the Royal Society was very interested in alchemy in the beginning. And um, alchemy had been outlawed in England in 1407 by um, King Henry, who um, didn't want anybody to do alchemy anymore because he was afraid of all the false gold that was coming in. And um, there was a movement in the Royal Society to... Um, to re-engage with alchemy because it was experimentalism, and they were interested in experimentalism, and the great alchemists at the time were like Robert Boyle and Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a huge alchemist.
2: See, I never knew that.
3: that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, oh, enormous. He was one of the biggest alchemists of the time. Hmm. And um so they were uh, they founded the Royal Society in England and they wanted to have alchemy. Uh, come back. And so Robert Boyle is talking about um, transmutations that sound very similar to the transmutation of 1666 that was done apparently by um, um, an alchemist called Mandanus. And so I start out that Mandanus is the last alchemist who still has the philosopher's stone, who still has the red sulfur. Mm. Um, uh, The... Uh, Alchemy went into decline in the 16th century, so he had it from an ancestor in the 15th century, and he carried it through his bloodline um, and now has it. And he's, of course, pursued by all the kings everywhere because they all wanted to make gold because um, Louis XIV is building Versailles and he needs gold, and um, there's war between England and Holland, and everybody needs gold, and everybody's after them. Not only is everybody after them who are kings of this world, but also the phantoms. The phantoms want it too. And so he's being pursued by phantoms and by by kings, and at that time he falls in love. And he falls in fully requited love with the wife of... um, uh, Helvetius, who does the transmutation, and she cannot have children, and she wants him for herself in her life, and she says, "Maybe the woman that I brought up as my daughter, my niece, can have the children for us." So this is mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster, right? We are now in a triangulated s- uh, system where uh, mother, daughter, and lover are are all together, and it becomes very strong jealousies and and meanwhile. Yeah, yeah, problems. <laughs> and so, and m- meanwhile, um, uh, they're being pursued by everybody, and um, then in uh, and there's the birth of their children who have to deal with the curse of immortality. All these themes are alchemical wow. themes, and then, in the end, it becomes very much like Marvel Comics, where there's a battle for the cosmos between the phantoms and the eternal twins together, and then... That ends. Have, have, you, have that you pitched
2: it. this yet to a, the movie? Because I'll tell you, the, the book sounds fascinating.
3: It really, really mm. sounds good. Well, it is, yes, but I only have it finished now. And um, I didn't know the end of the story. I didn't know where it was going because, as I said in the beginning, I do embodied imagination, so I wait till the characters talk and I'm following and describe the characters. So I have no idea where it's going. And I'm following the characters and they do much more interesting things than I could ever imagine or dream up. Their dreams are much more interesting than mine. So I follow that. And so I had no idea where it was going. But now I know because the story is at least finished in this thing. But yeah, these characters are eternal now and um, they can uh, like uh, this new Disney movie that came the new Marvel Comics movie where there's also this character who lives for a thousand years, this Chinese um, Mm -hmm. brilliant the Ten Rings.
2: Um, Um, Shang-Chi or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Exactly. That's about a similar kind of character. And so so this can, if people want to move it on to um, uh, contemporary times, you're dealing with eternal characters. So, yes, it would be great for a movie. And, uh, but, uh, we haven't done that yet, but that that's, happen,
2: that's amazing. Actually. Well, so just, and to confirm too, I want to make sure that, that we, we get this right. So we're, we're selling it for promoting it for you the proper way. Um, it's actually book one and book two currently, correct?
3: No. Okay. Um, what is happening is that it's book one and book two. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, what has come out is, uh, And when I finished it, book one and book two was already out. Okay. And uh, I I put that out uh, five years ago just to see how people would react. And um, people reacted very well. And then I wrote book three and book four. Okay. And uh, so now I had to rewrite book one and two because by the end, there were things that had shifted that I now had to change. So now I'm bringing it out as a whole series, book one through four. And um, Amazon had a mishap today where you couldn't upload anything. Um, and a- Amazon, I don't know if they are back online again. I, I, yeah, they're
0: in fly- touch. Their entire cloud went Amazon's cloud went down.
3: It was crazy. Yeah. Then you can see how incredibly dependent we are on the cloud. <laughs> so once the cloud is back up and everything is afloat again, um all four books will be online.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. You know, and we try not to bash Amazon too much. I mean we let's be honest, Amazon's its own little beast, you know, but but Absolutely. if you're gonna you know, if you're gonna Big put beast. something out that yeah, exactly. Well when
0: you talk about yeah. their cloud, basically there's a lot more than just shopping on that cloud. Yeah, that's uh, oh, Internet. yes. Yeah. Yeah. My partner's company was freaking out today. Oh, But this, mm-hmm. that's a whole other side thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's no, not just the, the, I mean, all the universities are on Amazon cloud and they, yeah. was, they, they couldn't do anything. And probably research got stopped. It's a disaster mm-hmm. when Amazon goes offline.
2: Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. you know, technology in general, I, I think as much as we've, you know, obviously I hear there's a pandemic still going on. So as we work through this, and we, you know, we we can work from home. We can do this. Everything's virtual. Boy, you know that technology goes down really sets us back as as just a society. You know, yeah. It's crazy. Oh,
3: absolutely, yeah.
2: So and the amount of imagination. imagination.
3: Yep. Yes, it's apocalypse yeah. because what happens is. Uh, also, the incredible amount of energy that it takes, more and more energy now, especially now that we have cryptocurrency that take unbelievable amount of energy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, I don't know where all the energy is going to come from.
2: Yeah, it's a scary thing. Well, you know, and something actually, so that leads us into something else. And, and first of all, thank you very much for the explanation. The book sounds fantastic. I mean, the, the, the writing sounds great the, the, and something that's kind of based off. History, what it was, and then to build Mm -hmm. off of that is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, because it's also
3: what, what comes up very much is Mm -hmm. this historical moment. This is Mm -hmm. the one of the most historical, most important historical moments in European history, Mm -hmm. because it is the moment of the battle between Protestantism and Catholicism, and where the Church of Rome was trying to suppress science. And, Mm -hmm. um, the movement of Protestantism was to actually save signs, and to create a system, especially in Holland, a system of tolerance that new scientific ideas were tolerated in in Italy, where the Church of Rome was ruling, Galileo was immediately banished, and he couldn't leave his house anymore. Mm-hmm. So this was an incredibly important battle, and um, Louis XIV was trying to become Charlemagne, the emperor of Europe, and take over everything, and so there was the resistance against Louis XIV, um, who was also creating Versailles at the time, um, to get the hegemony of Europe out of his hands so -hmm. that science could develop. So the birth of science is a very important political uh, movement that has to do with the, with the beginnings of republics. Mm-hmm. And um, the Dutch Republic was a place where there was no King because there was the notion of the divine right of Kings um, where there was parliament. And there was also, there was parliament in England. And um, so are we going, moving to a parliamentary system or do we stay with the divine uh Um, the divine right of kings. And that is all part of the story because if, if, um, if the um, if this wouldn't have happened, the United States would have been uh, taken over by, um, by the church of Rome and the church Mm -hmm. of Rome would have been much more powerful in the United States. And I have nothing against Catholics. I'm just saying that historically the Church of Rome was not friendly to science.
2: Right. No, agreed. And and it does fascinate, you know, you bring that up and, and we've actually been researching an episode um that that we're going to try to put out, but it just fascinates me that you have a city as Rome who, you know, believed in the gods and the and now that's where the Vatican sits. Like to have that yes. this is what we've done throughout the centuries to transform. It's just it's just fascinating. It is fascinating. Well it is
3: that the it is that the power of Rome and the christian faith came together mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: so it's still basically the roman empire yeah. It is the roman empire now working through catholicism yeah well yeah where there's a, and well, the there's word a way catholic the word catholic means universal yeah correct yeah
2: no that, that's just amazing um we so I'd like to touch on a couple of things before, and then John, Josh, by all means, you know, if you have anything, you, you mentioned, uh, well, we start talking about apocalypse a bit. Um, I did catch in some of your research and your bio notes that, uh, you have done some conferences in regards to that phenomena, apocalypse and, you know, whatever have yeah. you. Do you want to just touch on that briefly and what your yes, background yeah. there is?
3: Um, well, I have been always interested in the involuntary imagination in politics. um, I think that uh, we think that we run the show, but it's very much run by the zeitgeist, by the spirit of the times. And um, in the eighties, I did a conference called Facing Apocalypse about the nuclear issue, where people were afraid that within a few years we would be in nuclear winter. Um, And It is, I'm not saying that there was not incredible danger going on. There was, we had the the idea of MAD, Mutual Assured Destruction. Um, In the Cuban Missile Crisis, we came very close to nuclear war. So there is a danger because there always has to be a danger for nuclear imagination to attach itself to. So now there is a great danger in uh, in the environmental issue. And so in 1990, I did... um, Apocalyptic imagination in the environmental issue. And then in 92, um, one of the other apocalyptic images is Holy War. I did a conference in Moscow on Holy War. If I would do it now, I would say um, the apocalyptic imagination and polarisation. Um, Because polarization is also an apocalyptic image where where two forces are against each other, um, because actually we think that we are polarizing, but that's not the way that I look at it. I think we are living inside a magnet at the moment. And the magnet is polarizing all of us. It is much greater than what we think we have control over. We are in a state of self-organization that is organized along the lines of a magnet of two poles. And everything moves to those two poles. So when 20 years ago, um, changing the infrastructure of America would not have been any problem uh, between people, and now, if somebody from the Republican Party votes with the Democratic Party to to uh, upgrade the bridges, then they get kicked out of the yeah. republican party so it 's yeah. totally ridiculous, but that can only be explained because we 're inside a magnet, and so i 'm saying that the images that we 're in the metaphors that we 're in have us we don 't have the metaphors, but the metaphors have us. That's really
2: so that is very scary to think about. It, it, correct, by the way. I, I mean, I think all of us on this podcast, you know, this reason we we all do it and we kind of share similar interests is just because it, it we see that similar viewpoint. And I, and I guess this is a loaded question. There may not be an answer for it, but while you're on the, on the show, what's the resolve? I, I mean, how do we get out of the magnet? How do we get to a point where we're no longer dealing with what we're dealing with? Because, boy, it's been a hell of a two, three years for sure, if not more.
3: Uh, mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that um, if we can realize that we're all in the magnet together and so that therefore everything that we're going to bring up will polarize us and that this is a force that we are all subjected to, then we're together because then we realize that it's working on all of us Mm -hmm. and that we don't have to give that magnet as much force as it has. At the moment, the magnet is like a demon that is disorganizing us. And it's like a disease. It's just as much a disease as is COVID. It's a disease of fracture, fracturing. So we are in this fracturing magnet, and we're like iron filings pulled in different directions. If we all realize that, then we're not against each other, but we're against the magnet that mm-hmm. is doing that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think would be a resolution that would be similar to psychoanalysis, which says that if you begin to become aware of what has you captive, you thereby become less of a captive.
2: A hundred percent agree with all that. Um, I guess I'm hoping that we realize that as a group. And, and I just, oh yes, boy, yes, I see that yeah. a long ways away. And, and that's sad to say, but, you know, it, it's, it's tough.
3: Well, it, 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 but things do change. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, there is no longer in the 80s uh, when, um, uh, when I was doing this conference, there was um, uh, Claiborne Pell from the Senate Foreign Relations Committee was there. And he said, we should do this conference in Moscow. And it was in 1983. And I said, well, if you help me organize it, I'll do it. And he said, I'll help you organize it. So that's how we got to this conference that finally happened in 1992, Mm-hmm. With, um, with Gorbachev and the Dalai Lama. and It was a very interesting conference about holy war. But when I said to the conference, so with the help of Senator Pell, we organized this in 1985, there were people that coming up to me and said, it has to be earlier. You have to do it next year because by 1985, there may no longer be a world. We probably will be in nuclear winter by then. So that is apocalyptic thinking. And right. you don't see that today. Right, you don't see the the atomic clock is no longer at um, five minutes to midnight that where it was for twenty years. So we move out of these periods. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to move out of that period of polarization, um, but we can make it happen a little bit quicker if become a, if we become aware. <laughs>
2: No, and and I I I hope you're, and I see that thing swing time. And I guess my last my last question on my side, and then you know we can we can help promote you, Robert. Is um, w- what's the best method for helping to swing the pendulum that direction? Do you, do you have any advice or or uh, something to help us get from where we're at now to a a more wholesome?
3: Well, in the first place, we have to tolerate, we have to tolerate the fact that we're not in control because that is for people the most difficult thing to tolerate. That's why you get all these conspiracies, theories, because there's a desperate desire. Somebody must be in control. It must be Bill Gates. There must be somebody in control. No, we have to accept the fact that these are gigantic self-organizing systems and that we can steer them a little bit, but there's nobody in control. If we can accept that, and that we can steer them a bit and that we can be partially pilots, but we're not the captain. If we can be partially pilots and steer it in different directions, then that's good. But this notion that there's somebody in control is the most dangerous notion and is the beginning of all conspiracy theories.
2: absolutely agree. Well, well said, for sure. That's amazing. Um, John, Josh, do you have anything else other than that? I mean, I, I feel like we kind of covered the gamut with, with everything. Your background, your research, your knowledge, uh, Robert is just f- fantastic, you know, in your years of what oh, you've done. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and then definitely, yeah, once that book comes back online and that may have been the reason why I couldn't find it because of the Amazon cloud, I was not aware of yeah, that.
3: It's probably, you yeah. know, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. no, I just want to say thank you for coming on. And that's a lot of interesting
0: things that honestly, uh, I've never been really aware of, or Known about too off too much, so uh, that was very interesting. So, thank, thank you me. for, uh, yeah, educating me, and uh, yeah, it was good talking to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You. Yeah, Fantastic. very very good time, very enlightening. Like this is good,
3: and yeah, if people want to hear more about alchemy, then they should go. I've done more than a hundred hours of alchemy lectures on um, the Jung platform. And so they can find it there. And um, I hope that people will read Red Sulfur because I spent 10 years of my life on it. It would be really sad if nobody reads it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's amazing. It sounds really interesting. It it sounds awesome. read it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, And I guess just uh, we'll promote, we'll go ahead and we'll throw this out the best we can um, for you to make sure. Um, How are you doing now? You have recently, obviously, you've had some heartbreak in life. Uh, How are you just... How are you doing? Oh, how's everything going? I'm doing
3: great. I'm doing good, great. I good, found good. Uh, um, a woman that I'm totally in love with, and we got married. And um, oh. I now commute between Santa Barbara and Sydney, Australia, back and forth uh, a few times a year. And for uh, oh, you, poor you, ah. <laughs> yeah, it was difficult during COVID. Yeah. Uh, I had to travel through the pandemic several times. Um, but no, it's absolutely it's uh, my life is going fantastic and i'm dealing with entirely new projects and things that have come my way that i'm very very pleased about
2: that's amazing They're All great awesome. to hear that is fantastic you know you well, always and, yeah
0: yeah and just one more time for our listeners um where can they find your work where can they buy your books like the best places just uh, if you want to give yeah. us another rundown for people to find you
3: Yes, people can find me at jungplatform.com. Just put in my name, Robert Bosnack, uh, at youngplatform.com, and then they can find all my lectures and my blogs. And my books are on Amazon, so Robert Bosnack at Amazon. And to look for, um, I have uh, nonfiction books in several languages, and uh, my fiction series, which I'm at the moment most interested in, Red Sulphur. That's four books in three volumes.
2: Amazing. Outstanding. Robert, thank you so much for your time. Um, appreciate you just you know, enlighten us as much as you did. If you want to stay on a little bit, we'll thank you off air. But to everybody, that was Robert Bosnack. Thank you, sir. Very, very much. Oh, thank you. All right. Yeah. Like I said. Um, yeah. Just amazing. And and so yeah. Thank you, Josh. By the way, for the correction. I will be very honest with the listeners. I did pronounce uh, the Jung platform wrong. So, oh, man! When, <laughs> I, think I, I, think I know. Heard you. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I heard. Me. When he like, said you know, that, I was Adam, like,
0: like, I think, I think he, I'm like, I think he's talking about Carl Jung.
2: Yeah. Young. I was. Yeah. I don't know why Jung came in the head. I I've heard of the guy, but I just ways, never heard no. of his name. I
0: mean, it's eh. J U N G. Yeah. So fair you know. enough.
2: But you, know, but you know, it's a anyway. soft J like yogi. to be an
0: American. It's, you <laughs> yeah, know, I
2: suppose, yeah, I suppose he didn't say anything. He just rolled right back. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, uh, also, I'm
0: sure he rolled his eyes way. in the back of his head oh, uh, probably, in yeah, his probably. mind.
2: Oh,
1: this like, guy oh, I've done great, 20 years of research show. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Exactly.
2: Well, I think we made it up though. Cause I, I think honestly, you know, great questions. Um, it, and I don't know about you guys. I didn't really want to delve down because it's not about us. It's about the interviewer that, you know, the guests we have on, but dreams in general have fucking fascinated me. And John, I'm glad you brought up what you did because I've got the same syndrome. I can remember a lot of mine and, and a lot of, you know, like when I do that fact and bullshit stuff, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you too. Some of those things come right out of the dreams that I had like a week prior. I I'm good at remembering them for the most part. Some of my write them down, but I, most of my dreams are just God awful. They're not good. And so I don't
0: know. Yeah. I think most of my dreams are just like pointless to remember. I'm like, let's not remember that as soon as possible. It's really, they're just like stress related. Like I swear to God, all I do is dream about work or something. Like when I used to tour, it would just be like tour nightmares constantly. Oh man. And like, I haven't had too many at my new job, but my old job is every night. Just like, I was just back at work, just freaking out.
1: Dude, I haven't (laughs) served a table or, made someone a cocktail for money in fucking like six or seven years but i still at least once a month have like a server nightmare yeah do you, do you I really? finally
0: had my first yeah. nightmare about my new job which oh it's fine well it was just stupid dreams but i liked what he said about them.
2: that's was just, that was you know, cool i was yeah, like all you, right you take that out of it like okay even if they're bad or good <laughs> You know, there's something about how they reflect into our health and our everyday. You know, because a lot of the dreams I have, I'll be honest with you, are nightmares. They're not dreams, they're just flat out nightmares. And they just, you know, I wake up sweating and I'm two feet off the bed and the wife is kicking me, trying to calm me down because I'm over there sounding like a 10 year old. But it, you know, it's stressful. I can see how dreams do affect you as a person, your overall health, your psyche. Um, yeah, something you said about how they intertwine with one another. I think people well, just wake up and shake them off,
1: you know? And it was cool, yeah. too, because, like, I had forgotten all of the, like, uh, Jungian psychiatry aspects that were focused on dreaming because I got fixated on how he was, like, one of the first early people to be like, hey, like, there's lights in the sky and shit, and they're probably real. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So, like, a lot of people that are way into the UFO phenomenon, like, talk about uh, Jungian psychology and how he was basically kind of trying to normalize that uh, hmm. for society um, back in, like, around the turn of the uh, 19th to 20th century. And, um, yeah, so I I had totally forgotten about the other aspect where he mostly actually dealt with dreams and stuff. So that was uh,
2: it, real it's, fun. Yeah. And it's interesting too. You think about, you know, you, what you're talking about um, abductions, the abduction cases, you know, where do those fit into the psyche? You know, how do those like the, you know, is there a fine line between, between that is or not. I, you know, I was kind of set back too about like, I knew there was more to alchemy than what Robert was talking about but to where he took it and how he broke it down to like the seeds of the earth and all that. I just, just fascinating stuff, you know, because he, yeah, he's right back in that time. There was no chemistry back then. And biology was very infant.
1: You know, my understanding of alchemy was not at all.
2: Yeah. I didn't really
1: close to what it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I never really, I just saw alchemy. was, I guess if I thought about it, just some scientists back in the day that didn't know what the hell they were doing that every once in a while, like, figured something out through an experiment, like the distillation process or mm-hmm. distilling process yeah. with yeah, like uh, hard, making hard liquor that was found yeah. through alchemy. It was. Yeah. So like, they're like, Oh shit. If you do this, then vapors and blah, blah,
2: blah. <laughs> mix this and mix this and blow this up and yeah. you turn into a toad. So, because, but yeah, I didn't,
0: know. yeah, I, I didn't really, honestly, I just never really thought about it that much. I, I didn't
2: either. <laughs> I, you know, but how he put it into like, you know, okay, how does it affect us? Now, Mm -hmm. how does it affect us in the 21st century? How to just, you know, all that stuff is just, it blows a mind to be honest with you. It's just crazy. Um, And then I'm glad that we did bring up the, uh, a little bit of the apocalypse talk because that, maybe this is me sounding weird and bear with me, boys, but how he broke that down and explained it helped me understand the people that are around me every day, what you see on the news, what you hear. It helped you kind of see that a little bit that where it's not like, You're not against a person necessarily, but you get that person doesn't know that they're being pulled in different directions too. As long as you understand the same thing, like Mm. like it's just fascinating, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. uh,
1: I was just gonna circle back to asking you what you were talking about doom and gloom stuff in True Strange Uncle's faction. Yeah.
0: Oh, it still doesn't even. It's not even important enough. Damn it! I wanted to get all. Josh (laughs) is so
2: excited. He's got a boner over there about doom and gloom. I I haven't had one thing today. (laughs)
1: But, uh, but yeah, when he said that it did, it did kind of, uh, strike me as like, wow, that's, uh, I don't want to say overly simplistic way to look at it, but it's, uh, but I think that is a great way to distill it down for like, Mm -hmm. um, especially your typical middle of the road probably doesn't consider themselves exactly a conservative or a progressive, you know, just like your average person in our Western society that's just like, I don't know, man, like, but like, I've got everyone yelling at me from all sides and, and trying to pull me one way or the other, you know, like that, that might be a a really good way to kind of reach out to those people, especially the ones in your life and say, Hey, you know, like there is a, a, a weird aspect of our society that's doing this right now. And if we all just collectively kind of wake up and say, we don't need to do this. Like, Hey, you're my neighbor. We don't have to agree on everything, and that's totally fucking fine, as long as we're not hurting each other. Like, we can disagree on almost everything. Yeah, Um,
2: Yeah, as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah, Yeah. as long as you're not. As long as violence isn't part of that, and and that's a problem. I think violence has gotten so much of the fabric of what we're going through as a country and as a world. Obviously, a pandemic doesn't help. You know, we have other stress things that are not helping us at all. You know, so there
1: are so many. Corporations that make so much fucking money from it that it's just know. kind of it's, impossible to stop at yeah. this point. You
2: know, yeah, yeah I, I see that. Yeah, no, it, agreed. I mean, you know, like it, that, it, I mean, sad.
0: things are going to change. I mean, it's, the world ebbs and flows, and yeah, I mean, eventually, you know, our the cultural norm will change into something else, probably shitty.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> but, <just> not, <laughs> but you know, yeah, um, hopefully like it, ebbs and it and doesn't seem like it's good. really
0: ever. You know.
1: Well, yeah, turn it into
0: anything positive. But
1: and that was like the one thing I disagreed with him when he was talking about that, about like, yeah, that might help fix polarization. But at this point, we're so far down the road of climate change that I don't know if there's much we can do about it unless we fix the polarization and politicization of what we're doing right now and immediately change it and immediately like literally yeah all the boomers are gone at least
2: yeah I mean the the, the clock is going that's the problem something has to happen mm-hmm. now so yeah.
0: well it's you know. 60 degrees in Utah in the middle of December so <sighs>
2: well we we're not going to have yeah. any
0: reservoirs to go camp at next oh, year
2: Jesus nope. Christ I hate him. well it's just December 1st we broke a record here it was like 58 yeah. December 1st so, you know it's never like so that even
0: year. if we all do so start singing kumbaya with uh, the left and the right start you know, yeah. giving each other HAs in the parking lot, uh, we're we're still going to be fucked by what we've.
2: Hey, dude, out. you know what? I, shit, I'll, I'll give some blowjobs out. I feel like we're at I'll do hand jobs. Our
0: return.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. But you know what? I'll still, you know, 37 dicks. You suck 37 dicks on the way to the parking lot? I'll, I'll try. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, and
1: you know what happened? It fucking snowed this winter, god damn it. <laughs> you owe me. <laughs> you owe me.
2: As you wipe your mouth off, like, god damn, I got to do it again. I thought that was a one-time thing. No, uh, no, you know, just I've been cool. going
1: back to the gym. I need some protein.
2: So. Right. But, uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. You took it too far, sir. Anyway, well, with yeah. that being Does said. Does the body good. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? Um, amazing guest. Yeah, so Robert, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. would love to have you again after our little banter right now. I don't know if that <laughs> – yeah. Yeah, If you haven't it. turned this off by now, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm yeah. – The exact
1: opposite of the way we were behaving during <laughs> right, the Right, weekend.
2: exactly. We're very professional when you're on, however. But no, honestly, just fascinating. Um, amazing individual, everything he's been through. Uh, you know, awful for some of the, um, you know, the circumstances and the tragedies in life. And we all have them. Uh, But boy, he really, uh, he actually brought some good from them. And and that's, uh, that's good to hear, you know? Yeah. And the,
1: the things he was saying about like imagination and, Mm-hmm. and and how you can like experience that and use it in your life i, th- I thought were pretty actually profound and, and interesting very mm-hmm. much
2: so very much so yeah Definitely. very, very kind, of, kind of a neat individual so love to have you back on robert we'll see um meanwhile yeah so again that was episode 26 that's the end of the season again we made it uh we have some write-ups we're going to do something not a little bit different but i i think we're going to you know, towards the end of the season, I think we had some of our own original write ups, and then some guests. We're going to kind of keep doing that. I think have more, not as many guests necessarily as we do our own little input. If if you know if that's what you guys want, um, but you know, no matter what you want, you can go ahead and you can write us and you can tell us if you have a subject, something. Hey, I've been waiting for you guys to do this, to do that. We actually got a couple emails about uh, once we did the Anhill Kids. I had a couple emails about other things in this country that, hey, you, you guys did really good on that. You should do this. And as much as we don't really want to do the true crime thing, um, Anne Hill Kids was kind of fun and it was kind of weird. And I don't know. You know, I and Sam, maybe we can dip our toes into the cult world a little bit more. You know, we'll see what happens. But uh, you can write us with your ideas at strandjuggles at gmail.com or you can call us at 801 252 69. Forty five, and by next season, I will have a dolphin sound somewhere. I think I just got to get around to it. So, anyway, yeah, we- <laughs> when I see it, yeah, where are we on socials?
1: Oh God, where? Why? Why are we on socials? I, I mean, know, right? where are we? We're at uh, Strange Uncle's podcast on Facebook and uh, Instagram. We're at Strange Uncles on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel. Um, we got to catch up with uh, some friends. Over the weekend, um, some of them were Patreon members. One of oh, them cool. asked if we do video. We do have a YouTube channel. Uh, we should probably do more of that at some point. Maybe not so much editing video from Zoom calls to put up there, but like you know, if we get a chance to make some short stuff, maybe we'll work. Yeah,
0: we like have to- a YouTube channel, but don't fucking. Get too excited before you head on over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: there's like a, there are a couple of cool things, and then most of it is just us looking like Hollywood Squares. It because it's the video of the Zoom no. call, which is yeah. Meh. But yeah. on a
0: on a positive note, um, this is our season finale. But we are going to have another episode for the Patreon listeners. So yeah. stay tuned for that.
2: Yeah, for sure. We if can't forget about you guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and for sure.
1: You aren't, and you would like to be. If
0: you aren't, uh, what the fuck uh, is wrong with you?
2: Yeah.
1: What of all, if you, <laughs> if you have any complaints about the show, start voting with your wallet. Go sign up mm-hmm. at patreon.com slash strange uncles and give us your money and an earful. And, uh, you know, depending on the amount of money, we might listen to you. That's right. Um,
2: Content will drastically change depending on how much you want to shiv our way for sure.
1: But so. yeah, also, if you don't like us taking breaks, pay us more money.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Make us quit our day jobs. We'll be more than happy to. Trust us. Trust us all when we say that. So anyway, no, that's awesome. And good tidbit for the YouTube. You know, we've got some things in line. We talk about, you know, getting together again and, you know, some more weird sites. I, you know, we're not saying it's planned, but we talk about it all the time. We kick around the stone. So hopefully, you know, even though we're we're states away, I'd love to get together with you guys and uh, do another Skinwalker trip, do another Dugway trip or a Dugway trip we planned we didn't get around to. Just some cool shit out there, so you know, stand by for for some stuff with that. Yeah,
1: fuck it, it's been a while since I've been arrested. Yeah, I know, right? Go out
2: to yeah, well, you know, it's been at least the last jail I was in was uh, Tijuana. I, I got to say, it was um, it wasn't what I expected. Let's just say that. So, but I didn't last that long, so you know, it worked out okay. But anyway, so yeah, and then uh, again, if you guys got anything, topics, whatever have you, but uh, enjoy the holidays, enjoy the rest of them, and we will see everybody. In January. So close the gates.